We are um, in the book of Deuteronomy, and uh, this morning I just wanted to to pause for a moment and um, think a little bit about uh, why worship is so important for Moses and how he wants for the people, this new generation that has come out of the wanderings of the wilderness, to um, respond to that. Um, As you know, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of this kind of one unit called the Pentateuch. Pentateuch comes from the Greek word penta, and tuk is the scrolls, so the five scrolls. And again, it's not independent, it's just part of the whole package. The Jewish call it the Torah, so in one sense it's that point of reference. And this cannot be taken off from the other four books, it's, it's the whole unit. And as we know that the book of Deuteronomy is actually Moses' uh, last words to the people of Israel. If you wanted to know the title um, in the Jewish, it's, um, for, for the book of Deuteronomy, it's the words, the Daravim, the words. So these are the last words of Moses to these people who've been wandering. And interesting how a journey that could normally take 11, 12 days is taken them years wandering around. And Moses is preparing this generation that is the new generation. They have not experienced themselves the coming out of Egypt. They know that their fathers have. And he is just preparing them of this land, this promised land that God has promised and is going to take his people. So in one sense, we, we're in that part of the book of Deuteronomy where actually Moses is, is expounding why the laws, why has God put the laws? Because he knows that actually God loves his people. Um, when we were praying earlier on in chapter 11, he says, God has shown his love, has, has shown his love to you, the Father's love. And actually, if you wanted to know a little bit more, the book of Deuteronomy is the second book after John who's got the most use of the word love. And if you remember the conversation um, well, I have a conversation. You remember the sermon from last Sunday from Peter um, Hutton. The word love is, is, a, is a, a, a covenant word, is a, is a commitment to the covenant words. So, again, the book of uh, Deuteronomy is famous for the Shema because it says, you shall love the Lord your God. And there is one strong reason why I didn't stop at the Shema while we're doing Deuteronomy is because we spent some time on the Shema a year or so ago. So if you wanted to have a look um, on what God challenged us as a church in those times, go for it. Have a look um, on the website. Um, all the sermons will be uh, recorded there. So, as I said, the journey that could have taken days took months for the people of Israel that were wandering in the wilderness. The whole generation who could have seen 
the promises of God materialized by enjoying the promised land now has passed away. And this generation that is born in wilderness, it's on the brink of entering the promised land. And it's interesting how Moses is addressing this generation because he's still treating, although this is a brand new generation, he's treating them as the generation that has gone before him. Actually, he pushes the experience of their their generation, although it's new, to the experience that they had coming out of Egypt, in Exodus, in Egypt. So, he's just combining this miraculous event of coming out of the slavery in Egypt with the wilderness experience, reminding them that actually their very existence is because Yahweh has been so faithful to his promises. Their very existence is because Yahweh has been so gracious, although they have not paid attention to what he purposed for them to do, what he intended them to do. So we come to chapter 12, and chapter 12 talks a little bit this this place of worship. And we're going to, to stop there for a moment. Because we need to understand that if we see that in other parts of the Pentateuch, of the Torah, Moses is seen as the lawgiver, he's the legislator. Here we see Moses as a pastor, teacher. Because what Moses is doing with Deuteronomy is that he is pleading with the people of God to remain faithful. He's pleading with them to continue to live a righteous life in the eyes of God. So what follows is not just what we see as a code of laws, but this is a pastoral plea. When righteousness righteousness is not legalistic, it's guided by Torah, but it's driven by God's Spirit. And it always comes from that heart of great gratitude and compassionate. And the, the, the watchword for all this behavior of the people of Israel was the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And if you can recall what we did for the series, we said that actually in the Old Testament there was no no words for brain, for mind. So the heart was your your whole being. And when it says love the God with your soul was nefesh, which is the throat. And this is the, 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 the core of your existence. And when it talks about um, the, the, the strength, it's the same word that 
God used when he saw the creation and it was very good. Moed. Moed. So it was the whole, the, the, the whole of it. And again, this is what God is asking for the people to love him with all their heart, with all their strength, all their soul. So we come to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 4. If you open your Bibles and follow me, Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 12, verse 4. Do not worship the Lord your God in the way these pagan people worship their gods. Rather, you must seek the Lord your God at the place of worship. He himself will choose from all the tribes the places where his name will be honored. There you will bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your sacred offerings, your offerings to fulfill a vow, your voluntary offerings, and your offerings of the firstborn animals and of your herd and flock. There you and your families will feast in the presence of the Lord your God, and you will rejoice in all you have accomplished because the Lord your God has blessed you. And later on in verse 12, you must celebrate there in the, pre- in the presence of the Lord your God with your sons and daughters and all your servants. And remember to include the Levites who live in your towns, for they will receive no allotment of the land among you. So it's, it's amazing how God's desire, God's place is for them to have this this place, this place where they can worship. Now, this is not just to be um, very specific, and I think it's not to do with the, the, the locality, but it's all here for the setup where the people of Israel were surrounded by all the neighboring countries where they had deities and shrines all over the place, this was to be a distinct community. So the chosen place of worship, the people are asked to seek that place, to go, to sacrifice accordingly, to contribute and to rejoice. So this gathering, this summoning, is in response to what is going on with worship elsewhere place which indicates the presence and the power it's the assembly the summoning of people actually it's unique also in the new testament when john tells uh, prays uh, when jesus prays in john 17 about the disciples so they can be one so that the world can see that the father has sent the son This gathering, it's that place where saints are equipped for ministry. So yes, in chapter 12, we've got this significance of place. But in chapter 13, we've got this purity in worship and dealing with the sources of temptation. So we need to know that for God's people, 
Worship is a priority because it's the outworking of that love, of that covenant relationship. Proper love for God with all the heart, soul, and strength. So my first point today is that worship serves as a conscious protest towards other gods. And I will serve no foreign gods or any other treasure. You are my heart's desire, spirit without measure, unto your name I will raise my sacrifice, I'll lift my hands to the coming King, to the great I am, to you I sing, for you are the one who reigns within my heart. Worship serves as a conscious, as a conscious protest towards other gods. My worship is only with God Almighty. But also, if we're talking about this place where God says, come to this place, seek for that place, it's, it's amazing how, how this is so, the, the beauty of retrospect here is that actually we see worship as a signpost of what it is to come. Because, again, it's, it's seeking that place. It's anticipating and waiting for the coming of the kingdom of God. That's what we're expected to do in the New Testament. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. So, so in that sense, is that anticipation, it's that place that actually the kingdom of God, we're seeking God and his reign and his 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 everything, his presence and power will be so tangible. Because again, as we know, Moses has given the instructions that the Lord's name and the Lord's order will be established. But there is another thing here that happens with this seeking of this place of to worship God that God appoints. There is an element here that says, one of the commentators says, the distinction between the present situation where one does what is right in their own eyes and the new this situation in the sharp, is a sharp indication of the shift of the new order and the new kingdom. Look, verse 8 of chapter 12 says, everybody does what is right in their own eyes. And now with God's kingdom coming, there is that shift. Worship then is not only a signpost of the kingdom coming, but it's that place that brings us to that shift from, what, from doing what is right in my own eyes to doing what is right in God's eyes. Seek the place to worship. Anticipate the coming of the kingdom. The community is called together with all its gifts before God to eat, to rejoice, to celebrate the blessing of God. And with no member of the community 
unprovided for or left out. This is a picture of the kingdom of God. And there is a sense here that God chooses the place. God chooses the place because actually it's very interesting. If in Leviticus we had an understanding that there was this kind of Christological claim that there is no forgiveness of sins without, forgiven, without shedding of the blood. What we've got in Deuteronomy, we've got this instruction about worship and about sacrifice that actually leads to that place of an Eucharist, the place of thanksgiving, this meal towards this feast of the great king that Jesus talks in his parables. In thanksgiving and in celebration, all shall partake of the blessings of God. So, worship is not only a signpost for what is to come. Worship is not just a shift from what is doing right in one's eye and helping us to seek the place. But also, the other thing that I wanted to say with this is that and this is something that I've been reading this week about worship. Uh, Tim Keller has come up with this, with this phrase that you don't get to decide to worship. Everyone worships something. The only choice you get is what to worship. You don't get to decide to, do, to worship. Everyone worships something. The only choice you get is what to worship. So we come to chapter 13. And Paul, and Paul, Moses, I'm getting excited about Paul. But Moses talks about the three different temptations that come to the worshiper and they cause that drift or that, that disorientation and confusion. If you look at chapter 13, there's three moments that Moses points out. The first is when you've got a false prophet, and he says, this sign and this wonder and this dream but let's not follow God. The second temptation is when you've got somebody who is very dear and close to you, a friend or a family person, and this is done a little bit more privately or secretly. And the third one is the basically leaders in the city which are leading cohorts of people. So the way that I've, I've named them is that there are three kinds of temptations in our worship. Prophecies and dreams were quite legit when it came to Old Testament. So the first temptation is that I've called here legitimately public revelation. When a prophet and a dreamer 
comes and says something different from God. Now, I've got two pair of glasses here. Every time I go to Albania in the summer, I go to buy a pair of glasses. And every time I try to negotiate with a guy, I get a good deal. Although they are sold to me every time as genuine. For those of you who are familiar with the brand Ray-Ban, I mean, I can't even name the brand properly because we've got Roy Bon or, or Ray Bun um, in Albania. So it's, it's all those things. So um, we've got this standing joke with John T. But in one sense, they are sold as genuine. Some of them don't have the brand name. Some of them have got the brand name. And uh, to my disappointment, this is the worst pair of sunglasses that I've ever bought. Because not only they're fake, but the glass is not tinted. It's just a film over. You can come and have a look over it. And I did not see that, but hey-ho. But the idea here is that what, what Moses is trying to say is that vocabulary is different than dictionary when it comes to prophecies. In the New Testament, we are asked to test the prophecies. And because they say it's Ray Bon or Roy Ban or whatever, it all depends what they mean with that. And I think, I think that's the kind of the gist here, that, that because the prophets are validating stuff with dreams and visions and even miracles, it does not mean necessarily they are on the right track if they are drifting the people of God from the way of God. So he's saying, watch out. The second thing is the painful. It's so painful because actually I've said, I've written it here as endearingly secret entice of family and friends. This person or this group places family or friends under enormous pressure. And to yield to this temptation was to lose God's blessing. And not to yield was to lose human affection, but also to deal with this. Because again, how do we respond if this is causing us to drift away from God? And the third way that this community of faith um, will be tempted, or potentially, is by peer pressure. Especially when it's in numeric numbers. The whole city, the whole Facebook group, the whole community. Can everyone be wrong? And I just wanted to say that although the, what we read in the Deuteronomy, it does not apply to us because we, we have moved away from that. And all the, the ways that Moses is asking people to treat this 
is it's out of date but the principle is still there so how are we going to check in our hearts when we're tempted to drift from our worship of God from things that actually look good they sound good but they're not necessarily true from friends from family from dear loved people who are saying oh just give up with church and what about as a church how are we going to to in the west especially respond to continue to worship gods when actually there's so much peer pressure to the point that we can get accused for being so exclusive but our worship of god should signpost us should cheer us on should encourage us to be thinking of that kingdom picture where we worship and we celebrate and we participate in the blessings of our great king i just pray that our hearts are encouraged today because we are asked the same way to love god with all our heart soul and strength and perhaps we are in that place like that woman at the well our father jacob worship in this mountain and you guys you Jews worship in Jerusalem and Jesus says don't worry the time will come where people will worship in spirit and in truth and if we take the context of spirit and truth from the gospel of John they all point to the Lord Jesus Christ the time has come for us to worship through Jesus and to stay on track and to keep one another on track from the temptations of the world the flesh and the evil one may god grant us the courage to stay strong and continue to be worshipful god bless you